Welcome, everybody, to the men's workshop meeting um, of a new freedom and a new happiness. My name is Richard. I am a compulsive overeater and your moderator for this meeting. Hi there. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Before we get started, there's a few things to go over. We ask that all cell phones or other electronic equipment be turned off. Even if you think it's off, please make sure. This session is being recorded. To protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. Please remember, OA members affiliated with related facilities or other 12-step programs are requested to speak on their recovery in the OA program only. An Ask It basket will be circulated for the question and answer portion of this session. If there is any press in this room, please respect our anonymity by not taking any pictures, using a video camera, or using our full names. The format for this session is as follows. Two speakers will share for 20 minutes each, followed by questions and answers. An Ask It basket will be passed around. Please place your questions in the box for our panelists. The topic for this session is a new freedom and a new happiness. Our first speaker is Tony M. Hi, my name is Tony M, and I am a food addict. Hi, thank you. Now, on my drive up here from my my town of Gilroy, about 70 miles or so south of here, I saw a billboard. It was an advertisement for Walt Disney, for Disneyland. And there's a Buzz Lightyear was on the billboard, and there was a slogan that said, uh, I detect happiness ahead. And I thought about the convention and how, uh, and how unhappy I was before I came to OA and that there was an invisible billboard somewhere on my way into my first OA meeting, and that billboard probably would have said that. Uh, I detect happiness ahead. Uh, I didn't know what I was getting into. Let me spend uh, a few minutes giving you a little bit of my, my background, then I'll uh, talk a little bit more about freedom and happiness and what better day to talk about freedom than on July 4th. Uh, this is a certain uh, uh, specific kind of freedom, obviously, that we are aware of, not just our freedom as Americans, but freedom from the obsession from food. So I will focus on that. But first, a few minutes about myself and how I came to OA. So I've been, uh, I've been basically uh, obese most of my life. Uh, I was a big, as about eight years old, I started to get big and was the largest kid in every school I was at. I was big from 8 to about 21. In high school, I probably tapped out at 280. Uh, I went through some periods of the verbal abuse that kids usually do to each other, and then I went through some periods of some physical abuse. And then by the time I was in high school, I was pretty much not only beaten up by all that, but I think I beat myself up a lot where I hated myself. I was not 
a happy person. I didn't know that I was a food addict or a compulsive eater. Uh, I knew that I had a problem, but I, I just thought that you know going on a diet was the way to do it. And I had some short-term success. My parents would take me to Weight Watchers every now and then. It would work for a while. Then we would move to another state. I'd quit, gain a lot of weight back. And uh, by the time I went to college, uh, I was 280 or so. But I had convinced myself that I was un- unlovable. And the reason I say that is that I was so unhappy with myself, I was convinced that there wasn't a woman on the planet that would marry me. So I figured this was the way I was going to be for the rest of my life. And then something happened at age 21. I went to Weight Watchers again, this time by myself. I lost 113 pounds. Uh, my personality changed a little bit. I went to work for Weight Watchers part-time. This is back in the 80s. I was enjoying life as a thin person. Uh, then uh, I had a hard time keeping the weight off after a few years. And the reason for that was that I was not following the plan. I was fooling myself. I was cheating. In Weight Watchers, they call it cheating. So I would uh, weigh in once a month, and I'd, I'd, I'd somehow get within two pounds of my goal weight. And that worked. That worked for about three years until it stopped working. And I started to gain weight, and I got depressed, and I started quitting the classes I was leading. And eventually I quit uh, all of my classes, and I quit following that program altogether, and I gained all my weight back. I gained 120 pounds around the age of 30 or so. Uh, I'm going to fast forward to about 14 years ago when I went back to Weight Watchers at age 40, lost 100 pounds again. I was 25 pounds away from my uh, goal weight when I started to have problems again. This is about the time when I learned about OA, specifically uh, OA90. A friend of mine lost 100 pounds. Uh, There was something about him that I liked. It had nothing to do with the food. It had to do with he, he was happy. I didn't know how to describe it. He, we would eat together once a month, and we, I would look at his food, and I would look at my food, and it was the same. He, and he was weighing his food, and I was weighing my food. That wasn't a big deal because I was on Weight Watchers. He was in OA90. But the problem was what he wasn't eating. He wasn't eating flour and sugar. And I thought to myself many times over a period of four years, why would I give up flour and sugar? Why do that? I had a book from Weight Watchers that said I could eat it. So every time I would, you know, I was struggling to, to uh, I was struggling at that time, gaining my weight back. I was gaining it back slowly. I had gotten down to from 292 to 192. Like I said, I had 25 more pounds to go, and I was creeping back up. And, you know, I think you probably can relate to this. You know, I said, okay, as long as I don't hit 200, everything will be fine. And then when I hit 200, well, as long as I don't go to 210, as long as I don't go to 220, and this went on for four years, and I would eat with this guy once a month, and, you know, I just shrugged it off. Every time I, the thought would come in, maybe I should ask him to take me to a meeting, but then I immediately would think about the foods that I would have to give up, and I'd say, no way, I'm not doing it. So I would write the check and keep going to the Weight Watcher meetings. The problem was I was gaining weight. So in summary, after four years of that insanity... I had gained 38 pounds, and it cost me $1,000. I would have done it for free if I had known it wasn't going to work. 
But I walked into my first OA 90 meeting at 230 pounds. So I had gained 38 pounds through that period. And that is when I discovered the solution to happiness. So I had no idea that I was a food addict. I had no idea I was a compulsive eater. But uh, going through the literature, I immediately identified myself as a compulsive eater. I went to a meeting, and I, I heard the message, and I got a sponsor that night. So I'm going to get in now to, to, to how. how. How did I achieve this happiness? You know, how did I become a free man from this obsession? So my sponsor, which is not this friend, but this friend of mine would not sponsor me. And actually, that was a good idea. I don't think it would have worked out so well. But anyway, this guy I'd never met before shared at that meeting, spoke, and and he seemed uh, very intense and very fired up about the program. So I asked him to sponsor me. And one of the most important things he had told me to do was to surrender, surrender every day my desire for food to God. It's right out of the big book. Uh, Bill W. talks about this a lot. In fact, he talks about complete surrender. But my sponsor said, you need to pray every day this prayer. God, I surrender my desire for food to you. This was over six years ago, a little bit over six years ago in March of 2008. I did that. Uh, And I was willing to follow the food plan, but I wasn't completely surrendered to it. I tried really hard to change the food plan. That's why we have a food plan in OE90. He gave me specifically what I was supposed to eat. It's three meals a day, no snacking, no flour and sugar. Those are the basics. So I said, okay, you know, I'll do this. And I... But I tried. I'd be in the grocery store, and I'd find something that looked abstinent to me, and I'd call him. And he'd always ask me the same question, why do you want it? And my memory serves me right. He never added a thing I asked for. I, just, I was learning how to surrender. And you know, if there's one thing that, that has contributed to the, the freedom that I have today is my understanding of what Bill W. meant by complete surrender. See, in the beginning of the first six months or so that I was in the program, I wasn't completely surrendered. It's like a criminal who gets caught, and the officer says surrender, and he puts his hands up, but he's got a knife in his back pocket, and he's got a gun in his boot. He's not completely giving up, and that's kind of where I was. I was looking for a way to make it a lot easier than it looked. But as time went on, as I got more abstinence, I can remember 45 days into my program, I, I guess we have this 90-day thing, you know, this, this, it's a goal to achieve 90 days of consecutive abstinence, and I wanted that, and I started to feel like I could do this after 45 days, uh, and so I've, I just continued to learn how to surrender, and then somebody at a meeting uh, more than one person at a meeting talked about how they do the surrender. Now, I know this is not for everyone. This is not how everyone will do it. But the, the, these people were talking about getting on their knees and praying to their higher power. That prayer, not the same prayer, but, you know, it could be the step three prayer, whatever prayer it might be. And I was not, uh, I was not uh, unaware of the concept of getting on my knees, but I thought, okay, I'm going to try that. 
And one morning, first thing, I got up, I rolled right onto my knees. I said that same prayer, God, I surrender my desire for food to you. I got up off my knees and I felt different. Something had changed. And today I believe that day I completely surrendered my will over to God and regarding my, my relationship with food. And I've learned since then that this surrender is a process, that I'm learning how to surrender many other um, aspects of my disease. Uh, surrendering, you know, we only weigh in once a month in our program. That's hard to do because part of my obsession is I want to know how much I weigh. And I'm learning how to surrender that. Uh, surrendering... Uh, okay, so I have sponsees who might uh, turn in their weight to me, and they'll say, uh, and they'll make commentary about their weight. I go, it's not your job, not your problem to worry about your weight. It's your sponsor's problem. So I surrendered whatever the number is. My, all my responsibility is is to report the number. Whatever my so I had to surrender this. I had to sur- so there was people talked about this maintenance program. And there's, you won't find one on a piece of paper like you would in Weight Watchers. But I got to a certain weight. My sponsor gave me a little more food. And I thought that was cool. What I had to surrender, I didn't know he was going to do this, and I don't remember why, but he took some of it away. And I had to surrender that. I, well, I didn't have to, but it's a choice. And I chose to surrender. Whatever my sponsor tells me to do is what I'm going to do. And this is how that, that I have achieved this independence from the obsession. And, and really, I truly believe that, that I am in that place where uh, you know, detect, I detect happiness ahead. I am at that place today. But you know what? There is no guarantee that I am going to have this happiness tomorrow. And I had to learn that, too. Uh, early on in the program, I, I had a very hard time with, I mean, I have to eat like this forever? And I was taught to do this one day at a time. There were certain foods I couldn't get my mind. I said, I can't, I can't eat that ever again. And I learned how to surrender my desire for that one day at a time and learn how to say to myself that, you know what, maybe someday I will eat that food. Maybe. But not today. I've learned how to make this a daily program. In fact, when I surrender in the morning, and I still do that, every single morning, no matter where I'm at, first thing I do, I get on my knees and I say that prayer. And I truly believe God renews his promise to give me the strength to stay abstinent on a daily basis. It's like renewing a contract. That's the way I look at it. I renew the contract when I get on my knees and I, and, I, and I pray that prayer. Now, that's not the only thing that I have to do. In order to stay abstinent, I need to work the 12 steps, and I need to use all the tools that we have in the program. Uh, that, that involves doing service, so that uh, calling people. Uh, calling three people a day is something that we do in our program. S- committing my food to my sponsor, writing, reading, uh, there are a few others. I'm just saying we have a toolbox of tools that are suggested as a plan of recovery as well as the 12 steps. And the more abstinence that I have, the more I'm convinced that I, I need to be disciplined 
in using those tools. Some of my, one of my sponsees will call me every morning with his food at the exact time he's supposed to call. That's an important part of the program. But, and I commented on that once, and he said, Tony, that one's non-negotiable for me. And to myself, I'm going, I don't think any of the tools should be negotiable. We do that. We do that, however. I do that. I'll negotiate with some of the tools. For me, it's writing. I don't write a lot. I'm not a big journaler. But I'm not going to stand here and say I shouldn't do it. In fact, I'll stand here and say I should do it. And I do a little bit of writing. But I'm not going to stand here and say I don't need that tool. Because here's what I think happens when I say I don't need a tool or I don't need to work a certain step. I am starting to determine that I know how to stay abstinent. That, that, that my will is good enough. And that's not the case. I know that if I'm using all the tools, if I'm following all the steps, that, 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 that God gives me everything I need to stay abstinent and to enjoy abstinence. This is a big part of the program, I think, is that when we are in a, in a place where we are abstinent, we are free from the obsession, we are enjoying, I would, I would imagine that most of you would agree, that we are enjoying what we're doing. The, the way I eat today is my new normal. This is the way I eat. It's three measured meals a day. I bring my scale on my bowl to a restaurant. I bring it on vacation. When I go on long trips for business or vacation, I plan it all out ahead of time. It's the way I do it. And I'm actually enjoying my life a lot more than I did before. I was miserable before I walked into my first OE meeting. And I believe that, that we have to have joy. I'll share a little story. I was uh, early on in my recovery, I had found a, a Facebook group, uh, Overeaters. They called it OA, but since then changed the name. There was a lot of negativity on that Facebook group. There was a lot of people complaining about their problem, but then there was other people sharing the hope. And I thought, okay, this is a good place to share my share some hope with people. But then one lady went ranted. She lost a hundred pounds, and she hated the program. She hated the fact that she had to do it. And I'm thinking that's not where we're supposed to be. She wasn't enjoying herself. And I looked at myself and I go, I am enjoying myself. I lost 70 pounds on this program because, remember, I had gained 38, um, but I'm a 100-pounder overall, and I enjoy what I do. I know that if I stop doing what I'm doing today, I will be back to 292 pounds. There's no question in my mind. One way to put it is that I am scared abstinent. Do I really want to do this? Not really. I really want the perfect ideal life where I could eat whatever I wanted, not quantity, whatever I wanted, enjoy it, and not gain weight. But I know that is not going to happen. We talk about the first bite. The disease is reactivated before the bite is taken. If I take that bite, it is not going to be pretty. I am going to return. I am scared that I will return in fact, not scared. I know for a fact that I will return to the way I was, and I don't want to do that. I like the way I look. I like the way I feel. I like the, the most importantly, though, it's the freedom from the obsession. This is the most important, uh, you know, benefit I have from the program. It, I don't even care about the food anymore. 
If I sponsor it, changed it, fine, I'll surrender it as long as I can stay free from the obsession. And that is, that is really important in my life today. So I really want to encourage you to enjoy. Learn how to surrender. If you're not there yet, learn how to surrender. Learn how to be, read the, the big book, every story in the big book. The, the, you know, the stories are different, but that common denominator is they achieved freedom when they surrendered their desire for, the, for alcohol. Every, every story is the same. They, they achieved their sobriety when they surrendered their desire for that over to their higher power. That's what we need to do, and we need to work the program, I believe, every single day, all 12 steps on a regular basis, using all the tools on a daily basis. And, and there's no last thing I'll close with. There is no guarantee, I think I alluded this to earlier, no guarantee that I will stay abstinent tomorrow. I need to renew that contract every single morning. And as long as I do it, I will have the strength to stay abstinent that day, and I can go to bed that night feeling very grateful. And that's the last thing I'll say is I'm very grateful to God for giving me the strength and the courage and, and, you know, and, and helping me learn not only more, more about my disease but, but how to be of service to others. Uh, so uh, thank you very much That's for listening. Thank you, Tony. Um, before our next speaker speaks, I just want to mention there's a basket in the back going around. Please pass that around. It's an opportunity for you to write questions for our panelists, for either one of them. And when they're done speaking, we can uh, go over those and get their, their answers to any questions you might have. So our next speaker is Greg L. My name is Greg. I'm a compulsive eater. Hello. I live in Scottsdale, Arizona. It was torturous for me to be convinced to come to San Francisco early in July when I could be at home right now in about 110-degree weather. So you all know the sacrifices and the willingness I am to go to any length to recover in the cool weather. I am having uh, Richard pass around my photos before I became abstinent in the program. I have been in OA since the summer of 2006. I've been abstinent since December of 2008, maintaining about a 55-pound weight loss, and I'm at my normal healthy body weight. I'm so grateful for that. Tony, you mentioned... Surrender, complete surrender, which I completely agree with you as, as a cornerstone for my recovery. The very first line in the AA 12 and 12 says, who cares to admit, I think I'm getting it right, who cares to admit complete defeat? Is anyone in here thrilled and excited to admit complete defeat when it comes to food and eating? I know I was not. My sponsor just gave me something, an article a couple of weeks ago on, and it's an outside issue, I'm not going to mention the specific article, the difference between surrender, complete surrender, and submission. 
He was saying submission means just going along with the program even though I don't really want to. Listening to my sponsor, but I don't really want to. Fighting the food and not surrendering. December of 2008, about the middle of the month, I surrendered. Do you know that I have not had a bite of dessert or junk food since the middle of December 2008? And I used to live, I was going to say I used to live on that stuff, but that's wrong. I used to live for that stuff. I don't know if you can relate to this, but I, was in the fa- I used to go to fast food restaurants. I was in OA for two and a half years before I completely surrendered. I would go to a meeting. Where would I go afterwards? To a fast food restaurant. I would sit in the back by myself. I'd look all around this restaurant. There were families. There were people with friends. People were having a great time. Do you think I was? No. I was having a miserable time. But yet I was still eating all that crap. I couldn't figure out why I was eating. I just went to an OA meeting. What am I doing going to a fast food restaurant? I would eat the stuff looking busy in the back, right, like I really wanted to be there, reading my newspapers, whatever. And I would leave and I would be crying out of the restaurant and into the car going home. I just could not figure out why I was in there. Or I'd go to an OA meeting in the evening and I would go home and what would I do at home? I'd binge on dessert. Obviously, the program didn't work for two and a half years, but that wasn't the case. It was me not doing the work for two and a half years. So, like uh, Tony mentioned, I had to completely surrender, admit complete defeat, the middle of 2008, from that moment on, as I just mentioned, no dessert, no junk food, maintaining a 55-pound weight loss. It's really a miracle of this particular program. And I passed around my photos. For those who can only hear my voice, I was a lot fatter back then. People look at those pictures, and I do, I'm sure, for for Tony as well, and they say, that's not the same person, right? That's not the same person. You're making this up. Do some of you have photos of yourselves, and people have seen them and said, that's not the same person? Can anyone relate to that particular situation? And isn't it wonderful to get that back? I use the tools, every one of them, every single day. Why? Because they help me work the steps. That is what keeps me abstinent. Working the 12 steps out of the OA literature and the AA Big Book. Food for me is a symptom of other crap that's going on inside of me, emotionally and spiritually. I go to the food because it works. It makes me feel good. Junk food, while I'm eating it, makes me feel good. Sweets, while I'm eating it, makes me feel good, temporarily. But what happens when I eat that stuff? Has anyone read the doctor's opinion in the big book? Right? I trigger a what? A craving and a mental obsession. And there's not a damn thing I can do about it. That's just who I am. Once I trigger that craving and mental obsession, forget about it. I have to keep doing those behaviors, keep eating like that. I've got to have something that gets in between me and that first bite. 
That something is from the guy upstairs, my higher power. And how do I access that something is through the 12 steps, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps. And I have had a spiritual awakening as a result of the steps. How long does that spiritual awakening last for me? Maybe 24 hours or something, right? So I have to do the steps every single day and the tools to help me do the steps every single day. I'm not going to spend so much on my past and all the crap that I went through as a kid and I blame my mother and my father and this and that. We've all had horrible stories, right? We've all had all sorts of excuses. For me, anyway, they were excuses that permitted me to eat that way. I'm not going to focus on that. I'm going to focus on what my badge says here, a new freedom and a new happiness. Where did that saying come from? The promises, right? On the bottom of page 83 in the big book, it says, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. It does not say we're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness 24-7. When I complain to my sponsor, a lot of times he says, so, big deal. There's no guarantee you're going to be happy every moment of every single day. He said, so what? Fortunately, I've got a step to work for that. I call it step 10, which I'll get into in a minute. So new freedom and new happiness is the, ten, is the ninth step promises in the bottom of 83. And those have absolutely, positively, 100% come true for me. Every minute of every day? No, of course not. I have all sorts of crap that happens every single day that I don't even plan for, believe it or not. I write down my plan for the day. I write down my food in the morning, my food for the day. I stick to my food plan. I weigh and measure most of my food. But things, not food-wise, but things happen that I don't anticipate during the day that make me upset, that get me angry, that get me pissed off at my wife, that get me mad at my kids, that uh, get me annoyed at people I do business with all the time, that scare me to death. And that's why I have to use the steps, and especially steps 10, 11, and 12. After step 10, believe it or not, comes what I call the step 10 promises, which says that I will become neutral towards the food, and the food issue will be removed from me. So it happens from the outside, right? It's removed from me. It's taken from me by my higher power. That's the place I want to get to. I can sit in front of somebody eating dessert and not turn away and walk out of the restaurant. I was on the phone with someone a couple of days ago. A couple, no, a couple of weeks ago. I called him from, I said, I'm in a coffee shop. He said, I can't go into a coffee, uh, coffee house. I said, what do you mean? I'm watching the soccer. I love World Cup soccer. Did anybody see the games today? They're really good. And there's a gentleman in the first row who people can't see are uh, wearing a very good colored T-shirt, but I won't say what it is. Anyway, I said, I'm watching the soccer, and I'm in a coffee. I can't go into a coffee shop. So why can't you go? Well, they have bakery stuff in there. They have stuff that will trigger me. I said, I go into coffee shops. I have to get to a point where I'm not fighting the food. I can sit in front of anybody in this room, and you can eat anything you want. It makes no difference, because I have a secret food plan. I have a food plan 
where I can eat anything I want to eat. That's my food plan. I eat anything I want to eat. The trick is, I don't want to eat that stuff. I'm not fighting it. I don't want to eat this piece of paper that I'm holding in my hand, right? I don't have to fight this piece of paper. I don't have to put it behind my back so I don't see it. I don't have to leave the room when I see people that have paper out on the table. So I eat whatever I want. That's the freedom and the happiness that I've gotten out of this program. I want to share with you, not only do I want to share with you, but I will share with you. I learned that in Toastmasters, by the way. People always say, uh, can I introduce you or I would like to do this? And we always say, just do it. Don't say you're going to do it. Just do it. Well, that reminds me. We hear that in the program too, right? I tell that to sponsees. Don't say you're going to do it. You can't or you can't. It's either I will or I won't. And I will, for today, practice these principles in all my affairs. I will do step 11 on awakening and on retiring at night. And I will work my step 10. The step 10 is my key to a new freedom and a new happiness. Why? Because if I can get rid of the crap, I can maintain that attitude of humility and that freedom and that happiness. And guess what? When I feel free and happy, am I likely to look for that dessert sitting on the table to make me feel free and happy? No. And that's the whole point. So here's how I do the step 10. When things come up, it's one paragraph in the big book, by the way. Right? It's not that complicated. Page 84 in the big book says, when things come up, I watch for certain things when they come up. Dishonesty, resentment, fear, selfishness, basically anything that makes me feel kind of yucky inside, right? Because I have a choice at that point. I can eat or I can work the steps. I watch for when things come up. I ask God to remove it. So I watch, ask. I tell somebody immediately. Get on the phone typically. Watch, ask, tell. Make is the fourth action word for me. Watch, ask, tell, make. Make what? Make amends if I've harmed anybody. And then the last part is help. Turn my thoughts and actions to be helpful to somebody. So if I do, do those five things, somebody I have to come up with a mnemonic or some sort of way to memorize it, but I have memorized it. Watch, ask, tell, make, and help. One paragraph of the big book. If I do this, when things come up, I will know and continue to know a new freedom and a new happiness every single day. Every single day. One day at a time. I wear a bracelet here, which we gave away at retreats in Arizona. Uh, I don't take it outside. It's made of rubber. It would melt. So I have to keep it inside in air conditioning. And it says... Uh, Living in the solution one day at a time. Living in the solution one day at a time. For me, I have a choice. I can think about going to fast food or going out for dessert and crying afterwards and not being able to stop. Or I can live in the solution today, which is Friday. And that means doing a 10th step. That means when I retire at night tonight, working my 11th step, no matter how tired I am. Reviewing the day, one paragraph in the big book again, 
bunch of questions. <clears throat> I answer those every single day. And the 12th step to help carry the message, which is why I'm standing here today. Practice these principles in all my affairs. Usually that means where it's the most struggle. And where do people think it's the most struggle to practice our principles in all our affairs? I know for me, it's with my wife. And the most difficult room in the house to practice these principles in all my affairs is what? The bedroom. So as a guy, that is where the true test for me is. And I don't do as good a job as I would like. I am selfish sometimes, afraid many times. But that's where my program really has to work, is practice these principles in all my affairs with the closest person in my life, in the most vulnerable spot and situation in my life. If I can do that, I am likely to be able to survive the other bumps in the road that will happen every single day. And that's a tough place to practice these principles in all my affairs in the bedroom. Because for guys, at least this is my interpretation, which is wrong, and I've worked a lot with my sponsor on this, is that it's a partnership in the bedroom. It's not just me having to be unselfish and having to be unafraid. It's both of us. That is a work in progress for me, very much so a work in progress. My wife is at the convention today. Don't tell her I talked about this stuff when you, when you meet her. <clears throat> what we hear here, what's that saying, right? <laughs> Stays here. But I will tell you that that, for a guy, is my bottom line in my program. It's a lot easier to practice these principles in my kitchen or in the office or at a traffic light or even easier in the OA room. But I look for the toughest place. And that's in the bedroom. I don't hear a lot of talk about that. But I will tell you, if I go to bed angry at night, or scared to death, or selfish, I've already started relapse. Because the next morning, it's still going to be there. And I better do my step work, or it's going to be there at lunchtime the next day. So, do I know a new freedom and a new happiness? Yes. Only if I stay in fit spiritual condition, as the big book suggests. And the only way I know how to do that is to be coming, coming to these type of conventions in San Francisco, where it's nice and cool, working the steps, especially 10, 11, and 12, using the tools. And I challenge anybody in this room, after, this, after I'm done speaking, to name a tool and say, Greg, I bet you didn't do this tool today. Test me. I dare you. There's, there'll be a prize for you if you win. Now, there's still time in the day, okay? So if I f haven't done one yet, I have a way out, fortunately. Uh, but it's been great. Yes, I've lost 55 pounds. I don't eat sugar. I don't eat flour. I don't eat junk food. I don't eat dessert. But the food is a symptom. And if I don't get rid of all the other crap, I'm not going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. I'm going to put on all my weight. I'm not going to fit into these clothes. I don't think I want to go there again. 
I'll pass. Thank, thank you to both of our speakers. Very inspiring. Um, so now we now we come to the uh, the question and answer period. Uh, we I've gotten some questions from the ask it basket. So the first question is actually for both of our speakers, and you can come up and speak in the microphone. Um, how do you get back to your higher power when you lose track of your higher power? I think the first step back to my higher power is probably the most difficult one. Without getting, getting into the long story, you know, there was a there was a period of my life way before OA ninety where I walked away from God, and coming back took took a long, long time. I was talking to some friends today. Uh, you know, those of you that believe in God will probably relate to this. You know, God will pursue us, but He won't pounce on us. He won't make us. He won't make us come back to him, but he's always there. And so, you know, I would suggest that, you know, how do you get reconnected is you, you know, you might need some help. You need to talk to somebody, another brother. All right, so we're all, this is a men's meeting, but, you know, on the recording, I don't know if this is going to get, you know, blasted out. But, you know, anyway, man or woman doesn't really matter. I just think it's important that you share that with somebody. You share that, that you're struggling. You want to get reconnected to your higher power, but you're afraid. Have somebody help you do that. If you're bold enough and if you're, you know, if, 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 if getting on your knees is part of what you've done before, get on your knees and surrender. It goes back to what we were talking about. You know, it'd be like, you know, a criminal got away and, uh, you know, they just need to surrender again and the chase will be over. So I would recommend getting help. Sharing that with another man, for those of you that, you know, obviously we're just men here, but, you know, do that. Do that. Share that with somebody and have that person help you get reconnected. Thanks, Tony. Again, the question is, how do you get back to your higher power when you lose track of your higher power? Again, this is Greg, compulsive overeater. I ask... My sponsor. And follow the instructions on page 59. After all, that's the whole purpose, in my opinion, of the 12 steps, is to continue that spiritual awakening. There's a great story in the big book, and I forget which one it is, but it said someone relapsed because they failed to enlarge their spiritual life. So guess what? If I don't stay connected, guess what's going to happen, right? I'm going to relapse. I asked my sponsor... All the instructions, that should take care of it. The next question is for Tony. Um, this, the, the writer wrote, Tony, not feeling that there is a woman in the world to love you as a teen or a young adult struck a nerve with me. How did this affect your first relationship? I am Tony. I'm a food addict. Um, I'm glad that struck a nerve. Uh, first time. I've heard that many times at meetings, and, and no one's ever uh, responded like that. Yeah, I remember my first relationship vividly. So it was after that period of time. I lost 113 pounds, and I was all of a sudden 
attractive for the first time in my life to women. Not attracted to women. I had always been attracted to women. But this was the first time a woman was attracted to me. And it was that's how I got my first girlfriend. It's like somebody came up to me. Anyway, I got to tell you something. I was 23 years old, and I had no clue how to treat a woman. And I, my theory is most guys who date in their teens, they, you know, they, they're immature, you know, and they, they grow up during their teens, hopefully. I started that process at age 23. I was a jerk. I did not know how to handle a relationship. I was jealous. You know, I was obsessive. I mean, it wasn't a, I wasn't a... I call myself a jerk, but maybe a little strong. Um, I had to learn. I, I just had to learn. That relationship lasted a year... Same thing happened. Another woman came to me. This is all through Weight Watchers, by the way. Man to man, that was a great place to meet women, okay? <laughs> I was single, and I was young, and I didn't plan it this way, but it just happened to be that way. It took me three relationships like this to grow up. Not completely, but to a point where I believe God brought me the woman he wanted me to marry. Uh, I was not ready at that age because mature, my maturity wasn't there. I think we just have to learn from our I had to learn from my mistakes. The more I, and I had, really, I had no connection to God at that time. That would be a lot easier if I had that source of power and wisdom to, you know, to, to help me out. But I was trying to figure this thing out on my own. So if you do have a connection to the Bible or any other religious, you know, wisdom, use it because it's all about relationships. I would be a lot, I would be a lot better off today. I don't want to be better off today because I want to stay married, but I think that if I had to, I would, uh, I would treat a woman a lot differently. I just had to learn how to treat a woman before God would let me meet the woman he wanted me to marry. Okay, we've got about four minutes left before we close the meeting, and there's two questions for uh, Greg, and I'll read them both, and you can decide how you want to answer them. The first one is, Greg, you mentioned having a spiritual awakening, and that might last 24 hours. What does that awakening feel like? Can you share a story? And the second question is just to, is you talked about doing five, step, five steps of doing your 10-step work, watch, blank, 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 blank. Could you go over that again? What does a spiritual experience feel like? It feels like the promises after the 10th step, being neutral towards the food. That's the true test as to how I know I've had a spiritual awakening. And to answer the second question, step 10, it comes right out of the paragraph in the big book, one paragraph, step 10. I have to watch for when things come up, when they do, I ask God to remove it. So watch, ask. I tell somebody immediately, tell. Make amends if I've harmed anybody. And the last thing is to help. Of course, I'm paraphrasing, paraphrasing the paragraph. But this is how it works for me. And the last part of it really is love and tolerance for all. 
Uh, that's kind of this, the closing line. So I watch, ask, tell, make, and help. We might have time for one more burning question. Does anyone have a burning question that they'd like to ask? Okay. So it's, it's now time to close the session. Let's thank our speakers and all who have done service for this session. Um, you know, my, my perception is they were really t- great, two great talks. So let's please stand and join hands as we close with the OA promise, or formerly known as Roseanne's prayer. <laughs>